Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you're a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $19 billion promotional products business. My name is Bobby Lee Hughes, CEO of Robin Promotions. I'm joined by my friend and co-host Mark Graham, president of Right Sleeve, CEO of Common Skew. And joining us today is Brad White. Brad's not technically a guest. Brad's more like a host since he's a chef. And this is really us just spending about half an hour talking about sales, the sales process, sales management. We thought we'd kick around some various ideas. And more than anything, we thought we'd pick the brain of Brad White, whom I call Coach. If you've ever hung around Brad um, offline, hanging out in real life somewhere, you realize he's always a coach. He's always encouraging you or telling you that's BS. You can pick up and move on. And so it's interesting that his role at Boundless Network is the VP of Sales Development. Not interesting. It just makes perfect sense because I think most people know Brad that way. He's the kind of guy that can, you know, kick you in the tail when you need it and then offer you encouraging advice. So Brad, good to chat with you today, man. Thanks, Bobby. I appreciate it. And I apologize that I, I don't possess the ability to turn that off. <laughs> and I and I know how annoying that must be when we're just having coffee or something. <laughs> you know, speaking of, we were I was at South by Southwest and you were gracious enough to sit down with me and we we, we shared breakfast together and shared some good ideas. I'm uh I have always um admired this path of yours that you've taken from supplier to distributor side, both obviously successful in both ventures. I'm, I'm kind of curious from a sales management standpoint, you're, you're working with a lot of sales people. I'm only working with a few salespeople compared to what you're working with. What are some of the, I know this is a broad question, Brad, but what are some of the best practices, you're, you, practices you are seeing on sales? And maybe let's focus on diverse, diversification of your portfolio. Yeah, that is something that you and I have discussed. And it's interesting to see both the similarities and the differences between being a supplier-minded salesperson and a distributor-minded salesperson. Uh, You know, suppliers are largely in a support role. I think that's the the perception. Whereas distributors are out there driving business, I think that's the perception. You know, you you asked me about building a good portfolio of business. And I think many distributors might be surprised at how much influence a supplier can have on their customer base and the kinds of clients they have and the kinds of interactions that they have. Many, many suppliers are taking orders, just like many distributors are taking orders. But there are many suppliers that are out there really driving business. And, uh, you know, the, the, there are very there are quite a few similarities. One of the things that we look at here at Boundless Network on the distributor side is to to qualify your clients, to 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 categorize them and figure out who would most appreciate what you have to offer, and then how to go go after that. How That's do you, some. Go ahead. How do you qualify a good, a good client? I'll, I'll give you an example of when I was a supplier. We were not a, a huge company, so we didn't necessarily have a ton of resources. We wanted to bring our best resources forward to the most deserving, I guess you would say, distributor clients. So there are many things that I would do, like in a, um, like in a meeting where a supplier walks in and there's a room full of 
distributor salespeople. There's 12 of them. You're standing at the end of the long table. And one thing I would try to do is to figure out who I could put my best effort into. I would make very polarizing statements to see which way people would go. And some people did not like that and did not understand what I was trying to do. And that's fine. I wasn't looking to work with everyone. So yeah. I would stand up at the front of the table and say things like, Hi, I'm Brad. I'm a supplier. You might know us. I want you to understand that promotional products don't matter, that products are not important, and that the way we work together is. And right then, people would look at me like I had three heads. Right. Mm. And I would say, so rather than me stand here and talk about my products, I'm going to send all of you back to your office. I'm going to come around the building and I'm going to spend five to ten minutes with you talking about your clients and the goals that they have. What results are they looking for? Then we can talk about how my products can help them achieve that and how you can best position them when you go to sell. Now, what about distributors? Though? They're, a, they're an eclectic mix I mean, because you have distributors with different lines of business. So some might serve more corporate markets. Some might mark, work larger with agencies. Um, how does a – I mean, I would, I would assume in all of our businesses and most people, the 80-20 rule is alive and well. Sure. And, uh, you know, no one knows that pain like I do. Um, and that's a tough, tough thing. I have found one of the toughest – things in our business is diversifying the portfolio as a distributor? Well, diversifying is one thing. I think, you know, you, you definitely have to start with qualifying. So just kind of finishing up that example, the people that I would walk around to and speak with the distributors, that they would respond well. They'd go, yes, Brad, come into my office. Hmm. going to tell you about my client. I know everything about them. I know what their goals are. I know what their pain points are. I know what they're looking to accomplish. Those were the people that I knew based on the way we operated that we were going to have the most success with. Yeah. So because they kind of got it and I could put my full design effort into them. I could put, you know, sampling effort or any kind of support that I could give to them. I would put my full effort into those types of people. And then once you put your full effort into a relationship with a client, whether you're a distributor or a supplier, and you see what kind of return you get, you're going to learn what types of clients you work best with and where you're going to find the most success. Gotcha. So then when it comes time to then diversify and, and build out more clients, you know the types of people you should go after. Yeah, that's good. You know, it's interesting, Brad, when you when you say that, um, you know, I think about it from the distributor perspective, and this is obviously the role that you're in right now, um, in speaking with an end user, a corporate client, and you talk to them about their goals and their marketing objectives, and the more um, excited they are about sharing what they're up to and where the company's going, we have always known that as a client that is going to be amazing for us. 
contrasting that with the marketing guy or the purchasing person at an end buyer that doesn't want to answer those questions or doesn't know the answers to those questions or is getting annoyed that you're even asking those questions to them and all they want is the you know this USB drive at a thousand units and 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 run with it and so it's it's really interesting because I've obviously not been a supplier before to see that there are massive parallels there. Well, yeah, and it's the same thing when when you're a distributor as well. There, there's got to be a cliche we could insert here: beating a dead horse, barking up the wrong tree, something like that. <laughs> there's there's a point when you have to make a determination that the person you're talk, talking to they don't value what you bring to the table. They're yep. not going to get it or appreciate it, and that's fine. Move on. Yeah, you have to cast a wide net. And if you're able to put your message in front of a, a really large group of people, then you see who responds to that. And then you'll be able to focus your efforts, like I said, on people that are going to uh, appreciate it. One of the things that I like to do is I always I did this as a supplier, and I think it's good as a distributor as well, is to require some level of action. Hey, I will do this thing for you. I need you to do this thing for me. That was one of my biggest qualifiers. If I could say to somebody, yes, I'll get you exactly what you want. First, you need to do this. And even if it was something small, whether it's send me an email with something mundane, just to see that they were going to take your direction. Because we can be good partners in that sense. It's not just always about having good clients. Yeah. It's better to have good partners, business partners. So you got you. So Bobby, you you started this off by talking about diversifying uh, a, a client list, and and I think that that's an extremely important thing to do from an insurance policy perspective, and just making sure that you're not reliant upon one particular vertical or niche or uh, niche, as I like to call it. And but Brad, now that you're on the distributor side, do you see the pitfalls of having uh, a a, a, a portfolio that is too diversified and where now you've got a rep that is dealing with an insurance company vertical, they're dealing with healthcare, they're dealing with tech companies, and now they've got 500 different clients and they're servicing really none of them particularly well. How do you go about culling that and encouraging your salespeople to, uh, um, to, to focus but at the same time diversify? And they almost seem like they're conflicting statements. Yeah. Well, I would say even inside of that group of 500 clients, you've got your good ones and your bad ones. And I think most distributors would agree that with every client that they have, there's often this feeling that we're leaving money on the table, that we're not getting all of their business. Yeah. Yeah. And so rather than having 500 clients, maybe you have 50 that you could be doing more with, and that requires you to cut some of your low-producing clients. I call it ROT return on time. Yeah. You can improve your ROT by putting your better effort into better types of clients. You know, you're going to increase your productivity, you're going to minimize your stress, and you're still going to have a diverse client base. I, I, I do um, business with and, and know someone really well who they're tremendously successful. They do high dollar volume. And not a single one of their clients makes up more than 5% of their total book of business. Wow. Yeah. That's about as smart as you can get yeah, in this that's, industry, that's, I think. That's impressive. The, the, the beauty there is that if one of those clients 
is asking him to do things that are not in his best interest, he does not have to agree. I've seen so many times, both when I was a supplier and then now as a distributor, where you've got this client that they give you so much volume yep. that you can't tell them no. And, and they kind of force you to often make bad business decisions to, to further the relationship. I understand it. If you have a huge number with a client, I understand that, that need to do everything that they're asking. But I would say give some consideration to diversifying because I've seen those relationships end, and that's a bad, bad scene. Yeah. That awkward silence is that painful, yeah, acknowledgement on my part there, Bradley. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we, we have a uh, – interesting enough, I know someone who um, not only measures – you know, we use this yardstick of gross sales as a measurement tool, and it's not always the best tool as we've talked about in the past – um, but I know someone who measures not only gross sales, obviously they measure gross profit, but they also measure client count, um, which I think is kind of interesting because I don't know that we're quite used to that. Um, another thought, though, too, is how many of us have said this? Man, I wish I had more clients like Joe or Susie. Um, and that's it's not really easy to find those, obviously. Uh, but it is worth that endeavor. And, and the hard part is saying no. That's the hardest Part. Well, first you have to be aware that there are clients that are preventing you, your current clients that are preventing you from going out and finding new clients. I think that probably not enough focus in this industry is placed on prospecting and yeah, no. too much focus is placed on servicing existing accounts. Yeah. And I think that if everyone really stood back and look at their book of business, they could name some of their accounts that take up a lot of time and don't bring in a lot of revenue. And it's a hard decision to make, but your, your, your time is limited. You, you can't get more time. So the, you would have to cut something in order to better service better clients or to go prospect for new ones. It's scary. It's very scary to when you first look at that, your, your book of business, and you think, I've got to let some clients go. I've got to let this client go because we process that through our income and obviously all those obvious things. Um, it, it sounds like this action of trying to develop new business um, is the key. It's sort of like give me security, land another account so that I can have the security f to fire that existing client. I mean, that is, that sounds like a part of the key, but I know a lot of reps would say to you, Brad, they would say, yeah, Brad, I know I need to diversify my portfolio. I know I need to fire bad clients and hire good ones. I don't have time to prospect. What do you say to that objection? Well, I think people are a little afraid of the, this term firing bad clients and a, a better way to maybe go about it is to analyze what does your business do? What are your policies? How do you go to market? And if you do have clients that can't get along, they kind of weed themselves out. You do have clients that know how to get the best out of you, and they <laughs> and they follow along. When I was a supplier, I had people that knew exactly. You know, we were designing a lot of T-shirts, really highly creative, fashion-forward T-shirts, and there were certain clients that knew how to get the best out of me. They understood that my time was limited. They needed me, so they kind of did things our way. Some clients 
won't participate at that level, so they kind of weed themselves out. Yeah. Um, you know, I know, I understand that it's a bit of a counterintuitive way of thinking, and I also understand that when you're very, very first starting in the industry, you pretty much have to take every order you can because you're putting food on the table. Right. It's it's that it's that need to continuously prospect that goes away in people. I recommend to our people to, at minimum, one a day. Finding one client or prospective client to contact every day will not kill you. Take you 15, 20 minutes to reach out to one person a day. Really look at that. One person a day, that's five a week. That's 250 reach outs a year. Yeah. Many people are waiting for this time when I'm going to reach out to 50 people this week or this hour or this afternoon. No, you're not. You don't have time to do that. But you definitely can reach out to one person today, one tomorrow, one the next day. As long as you remain consistent, that'll work. It's uh, it's the vicious cycle I've called in this industry where um, when pe- when you say that to people, I think what they, they filter, they say, yeah, that's not ambitious enough. I really I want to call, get out there and really call on some new business or – you know, maybe they do process that, that I don't have, I don't even have time for that. Even one a week. Uh, it, I know this sounds so lame compared to coach white, but even one a week is 52 leads a, a year. If you close 10% and they're qualified leads, you can add six figures to your book of business. You're right. Absolutely. And it's, it, it, it maybe doesn't sound aggressive enough, but it's the same thing. I, I compare it to exercise. Many yeah. people might feel that they feel that they're out of shape. And they feel that the only way for me to get into shape quickly is to go work out for three hours. Yeah. The problem is working out for three hours is scary. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. And, and so you don't do too. it. Exactly. So you j- just avoid it. But if you worked out for just 10 minutes today, you could do that and yeah. 10 minutes tomorrow. And if it is easy, if it's not aggressive, if making one, you know, one call a day, if that's not aggressive enough, Okay, prove to yourself that you can do one a day for a couple weeks and then up it to two. Yeah, you know, this is um, – I, I don't want to turn this into the Bobby show. I have to tell you guys, though, an experience I had. Um, I was uh, I'm about to cross my 1,500th mile that I've run. I know, Mark, you started running recently. And I got to thinking about this. If I had set out the goal that I'm going to run 1,500 miles, I would have quit a long time ago, but I never actually set out the goal to run 1500 miles. I never even set it as a goal. I just actually had a ton of tiny tasks. It was like, I'm going to get out and run today. I'm going to run, I'm going to run twice a week. I'm going to run five times a week. And before you know it, you look back and because of Nike plus, I actually have this history that anyone can go in and look if you have a Nike plus account and see, Oh my God, he did it. But frankly, I, the goal was too big. And I, I'm kind of mentioned that uh, call it the, the magic of tiny tasks, you know, that the goal was way too big. And I, I know it sounds basic and fundamental, but breaking down that goal, it, in fact, that wasn't even the goal. It was just, let's just do the tiny tasks one step at a time. And that, that one prospect a day, that's phenomenal. Well, I think that it also goes back to this whole idea of what gets done or sorry, what get, what gets measured gets done. Yeah. And you know, I I um, as you say, Bobby. When I was just started running, I was training for this half marathon. I thought, my God, I've never run anything near that distance before. But it was interesting when I was putting together that uh, my 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 training schedule. A lot of the runs were actually really really simple, 
And I thought, my God, this is straightforward and I can do this. And I would check it off and have it on my fridge and check it off, check it off. And it was really, it was really interesting to see how that had changed my approach to meeting a goal. And I think that the same thing, and I know, Brad, you guys probably do this uh, uh, all the time, is this concept of measuring those reach outs. And if those reach outs are simple and they're defined yeah. and you can get into a rhythm and, you know, Bobby, you talk about the Nike Plus. So there's a little bit of a social element to it as well so right. that you're sharing those results with other people. Some really interesting things can happen. But, Brad, your, your comment about um, breaking things down into tiny, uh, very accomplishable, if that's even a word, task is a really good point because uh, people will be intimidated by the three hours of workout. But 10 minutes, no big deal. It's a yeah, walk on block. It starts with setting a goal. At Boundless, we put a lot of uh, a lot of thought and consideration into goal setting, and then the business planning that follows that. Yeah. And I see people write some very aggressive business plans, and some of them should. They've got those client opportunities, and there's a direct path to making that happen. Goals are great. Goals are more, what do you want to do? And your plans more, how are you going to get there? Yeah. And the best way is to break it down. I encourage people to look at their, their business and go, all right, I sold X amount of dollars last year. How many clients did I have to sell that amount? Okay, is it reasonable to think that I now have an average client number? Okay, which of my clients fall below that number? All right, which clients could I go after that would increase that number? What's my average order size? What can I do to increase the average order size? Just little bits. And when you do... Think of how many orders you do in a month or think about how many quotes you do in a week or how many calls you make in a year. If you, over the course of time, just add on a little bit, over time, it adds up to be a lot. It's like Bobby's 1,500 miles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, another another 1,500 miles, another terrible analogy that's not about me is that old uh, you know Stonebreaker used to have these – uh, back uh, years ago, they had these stone breakers would take these big boulders and they would they would break up these stones. And someone asked, uh, passed a stone breaker and said, which blows it that breaks the stone? And, and uh, well, I, the, the person observing, so I was assuming it's the last one. And he said, no, not, no, it's the first one, the last one, and every one in between. And so often in sales, we go, I want to grow my sales by 50%. And then we have this season of high activity, and then all of a sudden life comes crashing in, and our client demand gets higher, and all of a yeah. sudden we abandon that. And instead, breaking it down into what you were saying, which is either this daily task or this weekly task, is honestly, with the, the interruptions we have in today's culture, the only way you're going to reach that goal. Yeah, yeah and you have to be very disciplined. I mean, if, if let's say you just set this one reach out per day goal. You cannot miss. You, you have to be disciplined disciplined enough to go, I will not leave this office until I've reached out to one person. Yeah. The, 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 the other thing about building your business this way, diversifying your client base, you want to be able to measure these results. And you want to be able to look back three months from now and go, hey, I reached out to one person a day. What did yeah. I get? Yeah. Do I need to adjust my strategy? Is this working? Do I need to call more people? Do I need to say something different? The problem is if you're not consistent with your action, not only are you not going to get the results, but you're not going to have anything to measure. Yeah. 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 You need that data for sure. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to uh, switch gears a little bit, uh, Brad, sure. and, and talk about social media. 
but not in, not it's not the question you think I'm going to ask. Um, okay. You, 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 I know that you and I have, uh, we've we've uh, sat on. Uh, I was on a panel that you were leading a little while ago, and I remember you said something to me that I thought was really interesting. This was probably about a year ago, and you said, "You know what? I'm doing this social media panel." Which is funny because I'm not actually a social media guy. I mean, obviously, you like social media, but it's not something that, um, and I might be putting words in your mouth here, which is why I want you to respond, but that social media was not really your shtick and that you had some concerns about social media and its ability to really deliver on all of its hype and all of its promises. Um, now, I know that you, you've written an amazing blog, White Threads, for years. I reference it at every one of my talks that I do on, uh, on anything social. And I, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because on one hand, I would see you as a social media guy, but on the other hand, not so much. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that conflict? Yeah, and I, I think you're pretty accurate in, in your opinion on my, how I feel about this. I, I don't... When I say that I, social media is not really my thing, sales and marketing is my thing. So, social media is a tool. Yeah. It doesn't replace the work that needs to be done. I was giving a, a, a talk at an ASI event, and we were talking about having a company Facebook page. And somebody had made the comment, well, I've got this many likes – but my business hasn't changed. And I said, okay, you have whatever it was, 500 likes. How many of those people have you called to ask what they like about your company? <laughs> and the room was silent. And that's what's really strange to me. <laughs> here we've got public endorsements that people like your company. <laughs> you know, Here we've got people that share your message or, or, or comment on your posts or whatever. Sorry, folks, that's not communication. Communication is when you have a one-to-one conversation with somebody. And it blows my mind that people haven't considered calling or individually contacting people that like them publicly. Why why wouldn't you do that? I don't understand. (laughs) But I just, I guess the point is, I don't think social media is enough. And I think there was a fear Mark, when I was doing that specific presentation that you're talking about, I don't want to be lumped in with social media expert because I think there's a collective eye roll of social media expert as somebody who posts every single thing that they ever think, eat, or do online. And I don't see the value in that. I think I've I've always seen the value in communicating with people and being open with people and trying to help people. And that doesn't happen in the on Facebook. Yeah. You must, uh, when, when people rate, uh, thank rate, you, Brad Zezzo. Yeah. We, actually, Brad, <laughs> when, when people rate you as a speaker, you must just ignore reading all those comments when the results come back. Because <laughs> I wish, I wish I could, but I, I actually I, got, I got feedback yeah. uh, one time and, and I was thrilled because there wasn't, there weren't many people that were lukewarm to me. They either, yeah. Loved what I had to say, <laughs> really thought I was a jerk or something. And that's exactly the point. I mean, yeah. I'm always trying to be polarizing, and it's yeah. on purpose. You did, you did your job. I th- and that's why I laugh because I had to come grips, to grips with that several years being involved in various speaking in, in the industry, realizing 
I'm going to talk and visit about things that are important to me. And, uh, you know, it's not for, it's not a popularity contest, but that's fantastic. Well, um, Mark, do we, do you have another question? I hate that we actually have to cut this short, but we have to all bail in about seven minutes and I want to get to Brad's 10 questions, but to both of you guys, do you have something else we wanted to talk about before we close with the 10 questions? Can I say one more thing about social media? Yep. Stop pushing and start pulling. The best thing you can do in being a partner for your client is understanding what's on their mind, what's important to them, and how do they how do they operate. So use social media as a research tool to find out about these people that you want to do business with and extend your relationship through that information. It's yeah. it's something that's not talked about nearly enough, but if you want to go find out information about any client, current or potential, it is online go find it and then use it in your sales approach yeah and you and i we didn't even get to talk today about linkedin which you and i both love as a business development tool yeah um uh, mark was there anything else you want to ask i think we need to dive into the questions okay Um, all right but i uh i think this sets the groundwork for a uh a second podcast yep i agree i agree okay brad so number one what's your favorite word well (laughs) this is uh, I mean, my favorite word is awesome. I say it all the time, but my least favorite word is cliche. And is awesome a cliche? I don't know. I like when things are awesome or badass. Uh, you know, I don't know how many people know that there's an English major hiding in you. And so I could see why you would hate the words cliche. Yeah. All right. Room, desk, and car. Which do you clean first? Um, my, my first boss used to say, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. And then he would hand me a broom yeah uh i'm pretty busy i don't have time to clean so i just try not to make a mess <laughs> okay favorite animated film jungle book it's the first movie i ever saw yeah. and the, the characters are phenomenal such a positive movie and that's the the artistry and that's really cool because mm. it's all drawn by hand it's not cgi yeah great soundtrack too um favorite beverage okay that's a seasonal question and so right <laughs> now Right now, I don't know if you've heard or if they have this in, in, in Canada, Mark, but there's a beer called Leinenkugels, and they make what's called a, a summer shandy. Oh. And it's a, nice, it's a nice light beer, but it's brewed with lemonade. It's really good for the summer. Ooh, I have not heard wow. of it, and I'm, I'm a big beer fan, so All give right. it a shot. First Mars visit. You can only take the complete works of one artist and or author with you. Who are they? You know, Bobby, well, I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I can't understand why I would read anything or look at any artwork while I'm on Mars. <laughs> I might write, I might write some stuff, or I might draw some stuff, but I am not looking at anything except Mars. You that I don't know if that's the most sophisticated cop out I have ever heard on this. It's question. good. I'll buy that's it. I'll good. buy it. That's, yeah, I'll that's good. It. It's valid. It's valid. But I'm kind of bummed. The English major. I was kind of you know looking for. Okay, okay. I would like uh, Edgar Allan Poe because okay. he's scary, and I think being alone on Mars would be a little scary, and that would make it more scary. <laughs> you like that. the intensity. All right. So what? Okay. Tail, tail heart. These next two questions are going to be. You talk about it all the time, but what excites you about our industry, and then what deflates you about our industry? Well, the thing I think that's really exciting is those those ideas that you see, whether it's at a trade show or you see it online somewhere, and you just really wish you had thought of that idea. Mm. And and it's not just because it's like a cool thing, 
but because it had a specific purpose and you could tell, you know the client was thrilled that somebody was creative enough to come up with this thing that helped them brand themselves or helped them drive audience engagement. Those, those brilliant ideas, I love that. That, that gets me really excited. Hmm. Deflates you about our industry? Uh, the sameness. The, there, there's some lack of differentiation. Uh, I think that we can fall into the product trap where we just get you what you need. But I see a lot of companies that aren't out marketing themselves and their values and their differentiation as well as they market their clients, which I've always felt kind of weird. Hmm. Uh, what profession other than our own would you like to attempt? Um, I would really – I'm a huge baseball fan. And I would love to be uh, a general manager of a baseball team, trading guys, signing them. I'm actually in a fantasy baseball league. Shout out to those guys. Although they would, they would probably suggest that uh, me being a general manager is a, is a poor idea. <laughs> okay, so what profession would you not like to do? Anything where I have to clean up. <laughs> okay. Final question. Favorite app slash software? Any any app or software? What's your favorite at the moment? Well, at the risk of self promotion, I do like the customer technology we built here at Boundless. I was I was going to actually give you a hard time about that, but yeah, go ahead. And then the uh, aside from that, I love Evernote. I know you're an Evernote user. I think it really has some direct benefit for people in our industry. It's a great presentation tool. Um, and also, I would just say, you know, I have two little kids. And the educational apps that are available on iPads are just awesome. And I think <laughs> our kids are very lucky to be in the generation that they're in. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. I know we've all got to run, uh, but I love the fact that we can fire up the mics, uh, have a quick call, and sharpen each other, make each other better. And Brad, we're definitely better for it today. I want to uh, encourage everybody to go out. Uh, Brad actually talks about your big butt on his blog. So you need to go oh, check you, it out. Did you read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you should go check that out and see what he's talking about because he's talking about you. That's at lightthreads.wordpress.com. And again, it's been a thrill to talk to you guys. Thanks for hanging out today. Thanks so much. Thank Brad. you, guys. That was awesome, buddy. Thank yeah. you.